here's what I know. You take that quarter of a million dollars, you start leasing, you furnish it, do all the fun stuff, because a lot of people like that. Ooh, what color? I don't care. Just you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and 10 to 18 months later, here's what I know. You have your quarter of a million dollars back and this engine that keeps producing another quarter of a million dollars. You're listening to Investing for Good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. And now, here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, everyone. Annie Dickerson here with Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I'm doing excellent, Annie. I'm here in Sacramento at our house that we rented. I'm here with my family. Kids are in the pool and everybody is finally happy at last. So we're excited <laughs> to be here and uh, the weather's warm and uh, it's gorgeous. So but I know you're also on the road. So we've got Investing for Good, the show on the road right now. So that's yeah, right. So fun. Yeah. Where yeah. are you guys at now? We are currently in Boise, Idaho. Uh, we'll be here for another five days or so. We okay. just left Yellowstone um, yesterday and mm -hmm. drove through Craters of the Moon, which mm. I don't know if you've been there. I'd never no. been there. I'd ne never even heard of it before. It's a national mm -hmm. monument, but mm -hmm. it is unlike anything I've ever seen. It's exactly what it sounds like, Craters of the Moon. It's like, um, it looks like you're on the moon. It's like uh -huh. this crazy landscape. Um, based on like it's like old lava flows like so basically yeah. it's like you can see where the rock has hardened and we it's crazy we climbed up this like I don't even know how to describe it but it's like a hill with like lava rocks and you uh -huh. bend down and you pick up these rocks you think that they're going to be so heavy mm -hmm. and you pick them up and they're super light it's mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. it was just otherworldly on our way to Boise, um, we passed through a little town in Idaho called Haley, and we stopped in for a Thai dinner. And mm -hmm. after dinner, we got these fortune cookies. And mm -hmm. you know, my my mom is always like, "Oh, don't touch him." She's like, "I'm gonna pick mine. Nobody touch mine." And she's like, <laughs> she picks hers, right? So she picked hers, and then I like, I was like, "Okay, okay, which one feels like mine? This one." And I mm -hmm. um, opened it, and it was so perfect. You know how sometimes you just get those uncanny messages and you're like, yeah. oh my gosh, this is so perfect. So I opened it up and it said, don't worry about the stock market. Invest in family. Yeah. I, if it had said invest in real estate and family, yeah. I would have been like, oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny though, because I mean, I feel like that's such a great message and such a good reminder for, for everybody right now and where we're living, the times that we're living through, um, you know, is it's not about what's happening in the world with real estate, stock market. Is it a good time to buy? Should I be selling? And what are my returns and all of that kind of stuff? But really keeping it close to the heart and keeping it at home and remembering that, you know, as long as you're together and your family is together, you guys are healthy and safe, that at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. So when you invest in your family, you can never really lose. And so I, I love that. That's so cool. 
that's such a cool mm-hmm. little message. I love fortune cookies. <laughs> I know, I know. You never know what you're going to get. It's totally. So fun. This reminds me of our guest that we had um, mm-hmm. on the show today, Jay Massey, and he talked about the cash flow mm-hmm. game uh, that he played, which was what inspired him to get into real estate and all of his investing. And it's just so funny because I have a similar story. My husband and I, after recording that podcast, we played the cash flow game and we picked our jobs that we were doing and my <laughs> husband that he's still doing in our previous lives. And um, it's just so funny how, how things like that uh, happen. But um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, cash flow game is such a, a great way for people to learn about real estate investing, mm. just investing in general and such a good way for learners who don't learn by reading books to, you know, learn about how cash flow works and actually have the chance to kind of play around with it. And uh, he yeah. talked a lot about how that inspired him. Yeah, I thought it was so fascinating how, um, so Jay Massey is the, the creator of, and he's the host of the Cashflow Diary podcast. And he was talking about how he didn't know much about, he didn't grow up having mm-hmm. learned anything about assets and liabilities, which is what the cash flow game teaches you. Mm-hmm. And um, the first time he played it, he was instantly hooked. And then <laughs> later on, he and his wife thought, wait, can we do this in real life? And they followed the game and they were able to turn that into real life. And now, you know, through Cashflow Diary podcast and through all of what he teaches people about short-term rentals, man, he has just created an empire. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Yeah. And I love that, you know, he's our first guest that we've brought onto the show to talk to the audience about short-term rentals and how it works, what it is. And um, we even got the chance at the very end to ask him such an irrelevant question, which is how is he, you know, surviving in his business right now with everything that's going on with COVID-19. So jam-packed with so much info. It was a little bit of a longer episode, but um, just so much value. And uh, yeah, I think everyone's going to love it. Here it is, our conversation with Jay Massey. Hey, Jay, welcome to the show. How are you? So far, so good. And uh, (laughs) thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, Jay, you've amassed. I had to do that. Jay Massey, you've amassed quite a bit of experience in real estate. You've owned hundreds of units, raised tens of millions of dollars. And I read that you even owned some cell phone towers at one right. point, but I believe it was when you started looking into short-term rentals that you truly realized the opportunity to lay a Ahead of you. Now, I want to dig in to that because you know you've done so much. So tell us what led you to look into short-term rentals in the first place and what made you sort of stop in your tracks and say, oh my gosh, this is what I need to focus on. Okay, well, <laughs> it, 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 I think Julie's going to appreciate this. Uh, it was the numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Gotta yeah, love those numbers. They don't lie. That's for sure. <laughs> got my attention and kept it. And that, that's kind of what it is. When you were first getting started, there's the concept of even understanding what is an asset and how do I make one and build it? And what does all of that take? You, I call that kind of the beginning stages of my career. Then there becomes the, okay, well, let's just collect a whole bunch of them. Now that I get it, let's grow and scale it. And then there's this next phase, in my opinion, that happens where 
you got what you think you wanted, but then you find some things that make it less than perfect. It doesn't shine as bright as you thought, and you're looking for optimization. And that's ultimately what happened and where short-term rentals came in because the majority of our portfolio was outside of California, which again, that you know, neither here nor there. It's fine. It is what it is. But my children, I have four, my three younger ones hadn't seen us build everything. They were too young. You know, they just one day and all they know is dad is always at home <laughs> and <laughs> on YouTube or something. And I'm like, that's not quite the impression I'm after here. So what I wanted is that I also wanted to have more effect locally. You know, I could go to church and see the people that I see, but if they needed a job, it's like, cool, you want to go to Tennessee? I mean, I can help you there. It didn't quite, you know, mesh and it bothered me of how could I create more local. And then mm -hmm. lastly, it's um, when you have a portfolio of any size, it, you learn quickly that deferred maintenance and cash flow are often a choice that you have to choose between especially if you still have debt service on the property. Now, once the debt service is gone, it's a different story. But for the most part, it's either, do I want to provide a substandard product, i.e. Um, have deferred maintenance, or do I want to take cash flow? And I didn't like having to make that trade-off. Uh, and so it bugged me, which meant I was like, okay, how can I run more revenue through these same expenses? And I was looking for ways to increase revenue uh, without necessarily increasing the expenses using the same pieces of real estate. When all of that came together, it was literally short-term rentals is the way to make all of those things happen. And I didn't even know that. What happened is that one of my students came to me and said, hey, have you ever looked at this? And I was doubting and <laughs> not exactly believing at the time. But again, I know if you do the math, the math to tell you what to do. So I was like, cool, let's get together. Let's look at the math. Let's at least go to my favorite hot dog place. Because then, worst case <laughs> scenario, I had a good hot dog. <laughs> um, but I walked away with a lot more at that time. And, and that was one of the few times I've ever said, not only do you have something great, but it is so great, I'm going to do it too. And what year was this? 2016. Okay. So not that long ago. 16. So maybe like four or five mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what had you been investing in before that? Oh, it's the, the cell phone towers, the apartment buildings, all the stuff you said. <laughs> so commercial property, anything uh -huh. that creates cash flow. And that's one of the mm -hmm. things that I want to be really clear about. I am asset agnostic. I don't really care mm -hmm. what the asset is as much as I care. Mm -hmm. Can I leverage it to produce cash flow? Mm -hmm. Once I've done that, then great. You know, we can talk about any asset you want because it is the cash flow that creates the capacity for significance, if you will, because many of us invest our time, our most precious asset, doing things that we don't necessarily like to do all the time. But being able to take the need to use my active daily life to create an income, taking that off the table now frees me to do what I choose to do, not what I have to do. And had you always started, you seem like you have a really great mindset and philosophy around this. And was this something that you were brought up with or something that you learned? 
<laughs> no, uh, no. My kitchen table was like most everybody else listening. It was, boy, eat your beans because uh, I really didn't eat those. <laughs> so don't worry. No, 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 no. Um, what happened is I, uh, when my wife and I first got married, uh, one of our best friends, couple, they invited us over to their house to play a board game. The board game turned out to be what it, what everyone knows as Cashflow One Hundred and One. I had never been introduced to any of those things. I didn't know anything about it. The only thing I knew is after playing the board game, I was, uh, I'll call it hooked. <laughs> to, to <say laughs> because uh, that first time, can you imagine you're inviting some friends over? They we come over, we start playing at 6 p.m. And I'm so excited. I convince you to let me stay and play until 4 a.m. in the morning. I couldn't let it go. It was too amazing oh, what was happening gosh. right here. That I want you to crazy. understand that because yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. And we just kept playing. And then one day, I, I remember we were, we were driving back home from the house and we just go, you know, I wonder if we could do that in real life. Huh. Yeah. And, we, and I wish I was making it up sometimes because it sounds... It's so unsophisticated what I'm about to say, but this is exactly what we did. We started looking for, uh, we started scanning the newspaper headlines, looking for situations that sounded like what we saw on the cards in the game. <laughs> and then we, when we found one, we'd match it up and go, well, in the game, this is what I would do. Okay, let's That's do that crazy. then. Yeah. That was it. I yeah. had, <laughs> and we just kept going from there. Wow. It's funny how it doesn't, you know, in, in the game of real estate and what we do, it doesn't need to be complicated. And I think people yeah. like think that all the time that, you know, real estate is like a rich man's game or it's only for smart people or it's only for educated people. And, you know, when I got into it, I was none of the above. That's the truth. Right. <laughs> and and it, it just, you know, I, I saw what was out there and, you know, did something that my realtor suggested and it kind of made sense and hopped on in, you know, and, and here I am all these years later. But, but I love that because it's such a good reminder for for anyone out there who's you know thinking about getting into real estate and is thinking that it's not for them or it's too complicated or it's too you know I don't have enough money or all these like mental barriers that we put in front of ourselves when we're thinking about getting into real estate I love that. I love that it can be so simple that you played a board game and that <laughs> inspired you and that gave you, that opened the door and led the way. Because it can be something so simple as hearing you today on the podcast talking about, you know, this yes. board game. And then somebody right. goes, well, let's go and buy it and let's just play and see if we right. want to stay up till 4 a.m. and like play this game. <laughs> <you know? laughs> oh, oh, yes. Yes. So yes. I love that. Not yeah. call me at 4 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those people who might be listening who have never heard of this board game and yes. who have never played it before, tell us the basic premise of the game and what what about it hooked you. Got so um, the basic premise is to simply understand. This is one of the first lessons: what to do with the money that you have left over at the end of every month. So first mm. of all, you're like, wait, there's money left over at the end of the month. I know if that was <laughs> if that in and of itself was like. That can happen. That is your first lesson. Congratulations. There should be a <laughs> crafting a lifestyle such that there is money left over at the end of the month. That's number one. But the thing that caught me was there, there are 12 uh, occupation cards, 12. Uh, they range, you know, doctor, lawyer, janitor, teacher, mechanic. You get the idea. 
And what I realized is it didn't matter which occupation you had. Mm -hmm. We all have a neuro association with certain words because when I say the word teacher, some of you get excited and some of you cringe because you're like, there's either a teacher you really liked or a teacher you really hated or your relationship to authority is either positive, negative, whatever. You had a a reaction to it. But when I say doctor, you have a completely different reaction to it. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking money and I go lawyer, you're like, oh yeah, that's what I want. Mm -hmm. And what I saw one of the very first lessons was like, it didn't matter. It was still possible for the janitor. And in fact, as you get to know the game, you learn that the janitor to some degree has an advantage over the doctor. And you're like, wait a minute here, there's something <laughs> going on. How, how do I make this work? And it, and, it, and it just invites me to go study and figure it out. And what are the leverage points? And how do I make this work into my favor as opposed to not? And like it, lump it, or leave it, no one in my community, no one who looks like me is raised in, in, in our neighborhoods. We're not told that things like that are for us. We're just not. It's not yeah. suggested. It's not yeah. even implied in any way, shape, or form. And it was one of the first times where I began to realize that also <laughs> on those occupation cards, nothing else mattered, but money left over at the end of every month. Mm-hmm. Like nothing else mattered the marketplace, the board game. It didn't care that I only had a PhD. That's called a public high school diploma, for those of you wondering. It, it did not matter. <laughs> All the things that I can come up with as reasons why I can't, the board game didn't care. I just started playing, I guess, life to some degree that way, looking for where people didn't care so that I could just provide value and and find my way in. I love it because the person who created that game, uh, if I'm thinking of the same one, is the author of the book that most people, when they come on the podcast, say that that was the thing that started them off. And for everyone listening, the book I'm referring to is The Little Purple Book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert (laughs) Kiyosaki. Um, And so he created that game. And so folks out there who are different learners who don't learn by reading a book can go out there and buy this game and potentially learn the same way Jay did. So yeah, it was a while before I even knew there was a book. Yeah, that's that was actually the funny part. The the funny (laughs) thing is, he actually most people don't know this. Most people thought that he wrote the book first and then created the game. game. The game came first. That's Mm -hmm. right. And then the book was (laughs) almost a marketing tactic to drive people to play the game. They had spent tons of money developing this game, play testing it over months and months and they developed this game and they were like, great, how do we get people to buy this game? And he was like, I will write a book. (laughs) Yeah. Well, to be honest, I mean, he did price it. It was $200. Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) that for a board game relative to most other board games people have played, it's like, why on earth? What what kind of board? Right. What on earth does this board game do? Does it cook meals or something? I, I don't understand. You know, so I, I can see why there are some other things that were in the way. Yeah. However, once you got past that part, it it you learn very very quickly. It's the best two hundred dollars you you could have spent. I mean, it's no longer priced like that, but it was definitely the best two hundred dollars a family could spend. So you played the game and you, I'm curious, do you remember what card you had? What, what La- was your- Oh, no, no. Because <laughs> I played so many of them. Oh, oh. <laughs> you remember, were everybody at one point. There was no going home. We're going to keep playing. We're doing this again. Do it again. Do it again. 
Yeah, there was no going That's home so that night. Funny. Mm -hmm. um, so you played the game. So you go out there and you're comparing cards to what you find in the headlines. What was the first investment that you did or that you found and that you, you know, actually pulled the trigger on? Well, what's funny is that it, uh, my, well, <laughs> hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this one because she hates this part of the story <laughs> because, uh, there, we, we made a couple of some, we, we've made some great decisions in the past. And then, uh, I have a, I have the habit of, uh, selling too early <laughs> and she's like, no. So, uh, there was uh, one Netflix, one of those when, um, <laughs> Yeah. It, yeah, I know. You're like these DVDs, they're not going anywhere. Type of situation. A <laughs> uh, long time ago. And uh, yeah, yep, yep. I sold that one. Uh, and then there was, but the one that really lit our fire was, uh, it was, I don't even know if that company's still around. It was a uh, Universal Guardian. It was, they were selling um, security equipment. Uh, uh, industrial security equipment to help uh, right after it was like all after the whole, you know, Patriot Act, 9-11, all that stuff was like hot and heavy and, and coming on strong and companies were trying to serve that market. And we happened to we happened to buy it at literally the right time. Mm -hmm. And inside the game, there's one card that goes from one dollar to like 40. Mm -hmm. And by the time we had, you know, done this, we had played the game enough to know, well, you get that one dollar card, you, you, throw, you go all in, <laughs> whatever you got, just get it and make it happen. <laughs> and that's what we did. And then we waited and then it actually went up some like, I don't know, I think it was like a thousand percent or something. And we we're like, okay, this thing works. This is crazy. Yeah. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. It's ours. It, it, it was, it was off. It was over at that point like literally yeah. over. I was done. There was no more <laughs> out. There was no, it was get out of my way. What else don't I know? And, and people still laugh at me when I say this, but, and I still tell people to do this today. I started going to uh, Investopedia every day and reading the, the financial term of the day, watching CNBC, literally waiting for the guy to say something I didn't understand and go <laughs> look up that word over and over and over I again love it. until it all made sense. Mm -hmm. Until I started going, because it, it's a foreign language, all right? Mm -hmm. And then when it started making sense, I was like, oh, I understood that. Mm -hmm. And I know what to do. Mm -hmm. And those were the things that uh, began to put the uh, a more solid foundation. Because once I began to click there, I then um, entered into the uh, financial planning world and started helping other people click with their four hours active money management, 401k, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And until I got disillusioned with how 401ks work and qualified plans, and <laughs> didn't, <laughs> didn't realize that real estate uh, is where I could do the, the most good. What was the first real estate deal that you did then? What was the transition to real estate or how did you stumble upon that? <laughs> stumble. I'm more, it's more like crash and burn. <laughs> uh, so my <laughs> wife, my wife, when she's pregnant, she has a condition known as hyperemesis, which basically means she can't eat or drink uh, mm. when pregnant. So oh no, got uh, me scared. And then I, I don't know what to do, so I'm freaking out. But I was trying to blow off steam, so I went to go play volleyball. Long story short, punctured my lung, and uh, uh, with a, and then I ended up with a condition known as pleurisy, and I could not walk and talk simultaneously without fainting. So if you can imagine, oh um, I am the financial planner who can't talk and walk simultaneously without fainting and she can't eat and drink. This is how it is. <laughs> okay. So, and, and being the financial planner, we had all of our reserves. We did what we were supposed to do, mm -hmm. but that's when we learned that that might not be enough. 
right? And it was where I got introduced to the concept of, you know what? I need a source of income. I don't necessarily need a job, right? And we didn't have, I didn't yet have a big enough book of business to where I didn't have to keep going to work, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, this is a problem. So real estate came as a solution that was suggested by another friend. He's like, look, you need to become a real estate investor. I'm like, dude, my credit score is 398. I literally have no money. I hope you are the one paying for lunch because I can't, I'm not ordering because I can't afford it so that we're clear. We were making decisions, electricity or food. That's really like where it was. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, you should become a real estate investor, which made literally no sense because I'm like, "Uh, how? Uh, And it was one of the few times where, because I think all of us as humans do this when we're presented with the opportunity uh, we, we do, like you said, we think of all the reasons why we can't. I'm too tall. I'm too short. I'm too big. I'm too small. Mm-hmm. I'm too whatever. I'm always too something. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the few times that I did not let that happen to me. And I just said, okay, all right. Because I, I was almost as a challenge. Like, okay, boy, come on. Let's do this. <laughs> you, 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 you okay, good. You're going to have to show me how to do this with literally no money. And, and I wanted to define it for him because, see, I know I had sat with enough people as a financial planner to know that everybody has a relative number where they feel like they have no money. Uh, sometimes a client would say, yeah, Jay, I'm down to my last $2 million. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, I, but, you know, you can't tell them that at that moment, but that's what you're thinking in your head. Like, yeah, that, you don't even understand. Right. So I was zero though. Like zero would have been an improvement actually. And, he, and I wanted to make sure he understood that. And he, and he didn't blank on uh, bad. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's go. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, I was expecting that to be the end of the conversation, but it wasn't. And really long story short, the first transaction ended up being a two bedroom, one bath house in San Bernardino, California. Uh, closed that one June 18th, 2008. And I, uh, you wanna talk about ironic? I was squatting in bank owned property. Like literally, house was being sold on the auction block. We were hiding from the sheriff so they could not serve us. Oh like gosh. we got good, okay? Uh, because we, we, I mean, like they're coming, we know it, and we, but we can't do anything about it because there was no sort. It was like, ah, what do you do? Yeah. It was very, very challenging. But however, during that, I literally make an offer to a person who is in foreclosure to get their house out of foreclosure, then make another offer to a guy who had money on his credit card, and I used. He got a cash advance on his credit card. I took that for the down payment, rehab costs, closing costs, so that I could get control over the title. And then we structured a deal so that he could get paid his money back. And I ended up with the house and $200 a month of passive income without ever seeing the house because I didn't even think it mattered. Like, cause I don't know Jack about looking at walls. So, I mean, I got the inspection and I did everything I was supposed to do and found a property manager. They put him in there and moved on. Isn't it amazing? I mean, it's just like, that's the thing that I love about real estate. We always talk about this on the show is the ability to get creative is, is endless. You know, you can, (laughs) I mean, it really is. And, and as long as you have the, the desire to do it and the persistence and the creative mind to figure it out is you will you can figure it out with like no money or in debt or whatever it is to pull yeah. yourself out of where you are to get yourself to where you want to go. 
And that's the thing about the marketplace is that I, we spend a lot of time teaching people, look, it's not about you. It's mm -hmm. about what value can you deliver to the marketplace? The marketplace really doesn't care, honestly, about you. Your need is irrelevant. It, no one cares that all I need is another investor and I can just get this deal done. Nobody cares about that. What's in it for me? What can you bring me? How can you help me solve the problem I have? Mm -hmm. If you are capable of doing that, then we can talk. And that's what I began to learn. The, the, the guy with the, the money on his credit card, he didn't really care about the money per se. He wanted to earn more money with the uh, resources mm -hmm. he had. And I figured that out. The lady who was in foreclosure, <laughs> I was ahead of her. I knew what was going to happen. <laughs> so I, I could clearly help her. Be like, if you, you know, if you want to avoid these things, hey, I, I know yeah. I can help, you know. So all I had to do, which again, it's crazy, but that's literally what we did. It was like, okay, cool. If I can put together the resources to solve her problem and he's got a different problem, Together, both of those things can work. And then, you know, somebody needs a place to stay and then somebody needed to manage it because I knew it wasn't going to be me. And there, I was like, wow, there are people who will do all of this. Great. Let me pull them all together. <laughs> and hey, let's get it started. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what entrepreneurs do. We mm -hmm. organize other people's resources and put them to productive use. Period. That's all we've ever done. And then it was just a matter of doing it again and again mm -hmm. and again. We mm -hmm. can play, every human can play any game mm -hmm. if we know the rules. Mm -hmm. And you can make a case that most of us don't know the rules. We're definitely not taught in the places we expect it to learn things like this. And we, we must though, in order for financial survival even, if mm -hmm. you will, and after we closed that first one, three weeks later, see, and this is my point, kind of just like the cash flow game. Three weeks later, I did 11 in that week because it's like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do? Got it. Be right back. And we did it. <laughs> that's exactly what happened because I Wait, was fighting 11, like 11 separate 11 properties? Wow. 11 closings three weeks later because I was fighting for food. I mm. needed to eat. Mm -hmm. And you want to talk about accountability? Have no money for food. You get very accountable every day. Every time you feel the hunger pain, you're like, what did I do to fix that problem today? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I'm not saying please starve yourself or anything of that nature. And you don't even have to go there. It's just that was my situation. It wasn't because I was trying to do real estate at all. I, I had a, there was a lot on the line, literally food, <laughs> milk, mm -hmm. everything. There was no room for assuming that I was going to eat even next week. That mm -hmm. was the problem. I couldn't look too far into the future and go, oh, no, we're okay. I was looking at the next day. Like, yeah. cool, I solved the problem for today. How do I do it again tomorrow? Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's how we ended up being wholesalers. That's how I learned to just keep the pressure on. That's why we ended up. We ended up doing like 200 plus wholesale transactions. Oof. It was, that's what I knew. I knew I had a new toy, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. No one told me that I could do that before, but I figured it out and did and just kept going, right? Until I encountered the next problem, which turned out mm -hmm. to be 
taxes because you do a whole bunch of wholesale transactions and the IRS has a lot to say about that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I don't like that. So that's how, how we ended up starting <laughs> holding the properties because it's like, I don't want to do that again. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one thing you mentioned earlier is that, you know, people playing by the rules, right? You know, and I think that there's this misunderstanding out there or or not misunderstanding, but a lack of information out there where people are left to, by default, play by a set of rules that were handed down to them from, you know, generations before Mm -hmm. or like society Mm -hmm. handing them, here are the rules, here's how we play life. You go out, you get a job, you you know, you, you buy your house, whatever. I feel like for us as real estate investors, we've discovered another set of rules that we can live by. And the once you learn to play by these new set of rules, it's like the game, it just opens up a whole new game, like you said. And once you understand those the rules of the new game, it's like, okay, now I just go out there, play by these rules and I rinse and repeat. And that's what you did. That's it. And an easy way for those of you wondering, like, what is she talking about? What rules? Just ask yourself this question. And I'm going to use uh, 1933, the year 1933, just Pretend you are a person today, but it's before 1933 because the rules had a major shift in that year. Also 1913, but it was mostly 1933 uh, when, when we're talking about the stuff we're talking about right now. If you just have to ask yourself, what did not exist prior to 1933? How would I, if it was then, do X, Y, and Z? Then we'll open up the ability to be creative around what you could and couldn't do. See, and in fact, especially, oh man, there's just so much. Because the understand the FHA wasn't always around. There wasn't always uh, government-insured loans. That, that didn't always exist. Now, it's always existed since you and I have been around, and that's great, but that only satisfies a certain percentage of the marketplace. Well, what about the percentage that it doesn't satisfy? And that's where I'm strongest, I mean, if you want your government insured loan, great. Knock yourself out. Do that. But when that doesn't work, give me a call because I promise you I got a solution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm strongest. When there is no traditional lending available, when there is no credit available. I didn't have credit as a resource. I didn't have it. I Mm -hmm. started with none of it. And I had to learn to create value without going with, well, I'll just give you a whole big down payment. And those are the things that the people did before 1933 in order to get real estate transactions done. And that's a lot of where the creativity comes in. And that's a lot of where understanding the the tools and the process of how to make a transaction actually work. And and that's the key. But once you have it, now you have a choice. Do I want to participate? How do I want to control and, and conduct this transaction. You're not limited by a FICO score. They didn't have one of those. <laughs> okay. You know, I'm not limited by a FICO score, uh, whether or not I can do something. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that um, I think we look at today and just go, well, I don't have a FICO. I don't have this. I don't have that. So how can I ever, who's going to let me have mm-hmm. a property? And that's the level of thinking that must be elevated 
in order for you to make the progress. Yeah, I think that's a common theme that we've heard um, through many conversations that we've had on this podcast and otherwise, Mm -hmm. is that a lot of people who see massive success in real estate, they weren't the ones who started out with a pile of money and they were like, (laughs) which house should I put this money into? Which building should I buy? They're always the ones who are the scrappiest, right? They had nothing to start out with Mm -hmm. or sometimes they were heavily in debt to start Mm -hmm. out with and they had to figure out way, just like what you were saying. They had no other choice. They had to figure it out. And what I love about your story too is, you know, a lot of people who, um, before they get into real estate or people who haven't invested in real estate before, they think, oh, well, that's just a way for people to, certain people to get wealthy and get rich. And, you know, the snob, it's for, for snobby people. And, <laughs> but in fact, it's the complete opposite, right? And your situation yeah. is exactly, I love that about your story is that real estate is really about creating a win-win solution. And here you are yes. and you had pretty much no experience in real estate. And you come in, you're like, wait, this person has a problem. This person has another problem. Wait, right. I think I have an idea. I can solve both <laughs> people's problems and I can help myself in the process. And it's just, it's genius. And I think a lot of people don't realize that that is truly what real estate is all about. Mm-hmm. And, and which, to, to that point, it's, it's not about even having experience in real estate. It's about having experience with people. Mm-hmm. See, it, it's people that have problems. You're just looking for the people with problems who happen to have real estate, mm-hmm. period. And then you find a way to solve their problem using your bag of tools. Now, sometimes your bag, if your bag of tools is only a Fannie Freddie loan and a 20% down payment, okay, that's great. You started somewhere. You have something in your tool belt. Add more tools and learn how to use expert tools expertly this is like because it's everything you can't just know about a tool you have to know how to massage it and use it expertly Mm -hmm. a basketball in michael jordan's hands even though he's darn near 70 (laughs) it's still Mm -hmm. better than a basketball (laughs) in my hands (laughs) period because that tool for him he has mastered it yeah period and, and that's the point. It's no different here. And unfortunately, we sometimes want things faster. And mm-hmm. I, I understand. But every master was once a disaster. That's all I got to say on that. We'll get back to our conversation with Jay in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations. And as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. 
We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day. Because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now... Back to our chat with Jay Ness. I do want to transition because I, sure. I know that you have so much to share on short-term rentals and it's such oh, a, okay. um, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Annie, that you're the first guest we've had on the show to talk to us and talk to the audience about short-term rentals. And it's such really? a, it's such a um, great space. It's one that I was around actually the same time that you got into it in 2016, uh, looked pretty huh. deep into and kind of played around, was pretty serious about it. Annie, I think you remember when we first talked that I was pretty strong about getting into short-term rentals. And I had some of those, you know, objections in my mind of like why it wouldn't work or why I couldn't do it. So I have a ton of questions I, I want to get to. So for the listeners who who may not know what a short term rental is or how it works, can you, you know, in just a few minutes, kind of very high level, tell them what it is and how it works and how you as the real estate investor make money in the short term rental game? Absolutely. In fact, everyone they know how it works. They just don't really think about the fact that they already know how it works because they've participated in it working. And I'll explain it this way. If you've ever gone to a vending machine, you already know how a short-term rental works because think about it. For that vending machine to have been there, someone else ahead of time put the machine there, made sure there was electricity, made sure there was a refrigerant or whatever so that it could be cold if needed be. And then they decided on the products that needed to be there specific for that particular location, put those products there, made sure it was stocked, and then therefore appropriately priced. Now, appropriately priced, mind you, uh, when you bought that bottle of water, they bought 24 bottles of water for maybe 5 or $6. And then put that bottle of water inside the vending machine and you paid $2 for that one bottle of water that was properly placed, properly chilled, and just what you were looking for at that time. If you understand that concept and the fact that it's the same bottle of water, <laughs> then you understand everything you need to know about a short-term rental because that's really what we do. It's the difference between wholesale and retail. Traditional real estate investing, when you rent a, a space, a unit, you, what you do is you wholesale it. You wholesale time because that's our inventory. You wholesale 365 days on one contract, typically to one, uh, one family. That's what you do. When you retail, you take uh, those same 365 days, but you break them up in 24-hour increments, and you can sell them to individual different people uh, as, as frequently as you'd like over that 365-day period. And just like the vending machine, because see the water in its natural state from, say, the store, it's not refrigerated, it's not packaged the same, it's not ready for consumption uh, straight off, uh, off the shelf. So you're now going to take that same real estate space and make it ready for consumption and you, you charge a premium, just like the person who has a vending machine. The biggest difference, it's more commas and zeros at the end of the day. I love that. It's so funny. I never, I never thought about it that way. Ready 
I'm just writing this down because ready for consumption, because that's such a great way to to think about what short-term rentals are and, and how it works. Mm-hmm. Now, for for anyone listening, and they might be thinking, okay, this this all sounds really interesting, but how do I how do I get into this? What do I need to do? Um, what are the different ways to get into it? What might be the upfront cost to getting into it? Uh, what kind of returns could I see? Because <laughs> they <laughs> okay. must be good. We started yeah. off the show talking about numbers. So if we went from traditional rentals and we, right. we just did a recording about regular turnkey rentals yesterday. Right. So now we're right. going to talk about, about this, about short-term rentals. So if the numbers got to be good, I want the audience to hear how good the numbers could be um, and what it takes kind of to get into it. They're not good. They're, they're unbelievable. That's okay. the problem. <laughs> the problem is that they are unbelievable. So... Okay. I am going to intentionally tell you numbers that are lower and you will still be challenged to believe those. Okay. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I have done everywhere because it's, it's big enough. Here's, here's what it comes down to. What you ultimately need is control over a space. Now I'm being very vague on purpose because one of the other questions I often get is, Hey, what about a two bedroom? What about a one bedroom? What about the, okay. The, the space is irrelevant okay the space is irrelevant let me tell you why it's not about the piece of real estate it's about the experience on the piece of real estate the experience at the piece of real estate that's what matters okay so whether it's a vacant land whether it's your tiny house in the backyard uh, whether it's a one bedroom uh, apartment in a in a 20 unit building whether it's a single family house or a 10,000 square foot house, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter. Okay. So let, we've got to put that to the side. What matters is who do you want to serve? You have to first think about who it is, who it is that you would like to serve with this business. Now, I often tell people just start with who you are because you're the easiest type of person to please because you know what you like when traveling. So, because here, here's an easy one which is going to shock and amaze, right? To some degree. Can anyone answer for me, how come all this time hotels have not yet figured out how to get reliable Wi-Fi inside the room? (laughs) Yeah, me neither. All right, so, (laughs) you know, you're not even asking for much, but that seems to be an insurmountable thing, right? Mm And so it, it doesn't even take much to have a better experience. So before you start thinking you need a butler or something of that nature, it could be some simple things like that. Another, here's another simple one. We make sure that there is more than enough places, outlets that don't have lamps plugged in that already are there for your devices so that you could charge them. Because see, every time you go to a hotel, you know what you do? You unplug the lamp mm-hmm. to plug in your charger, yep. don't you? And then you have to choose. Do I want the light or do I want to charge? And you choose charging every time and then you hate it because it's dark. You're I know. sitting there in the dark. How did like, you know, Jake? <laughs> <laughs> We're all doing it. But see, but that's what I'm seeing. But that's a part of the experience that we've mm-hmm. just accepted because did we have a choice? Well, now you do. And ultimately, you just need control over a space and you design that space to meet the needs of the ideal customer, your ideal customer. And there is no one right uh, ideal customer. So they all work. And what, what it comes down to after that is it's honestly, it becomes a marketing and systems game because what happens is you must learn how to do things at scale because yes, you can have one unit and you'll do fine. 
Uh, but when you have two or three or four, 40, 50 or more, it's even more fun. And I often tell people, what I want you to do is I want you to get used to whatever it is that you used to earn in a, in a, in a year. I want you to imagine that every month, okay? And then I want you to imagine that you're able to do that every month on one hour a day. If you can just swallow that idea, that's what we're talking about. Because the, the markup, if you will, the margin, uh, I tell everybody just double whatever traditional rent is. So if you have a one bedroom that would normally rent for 2,200, go, it, your revenue is probably gonna be around 4,400. All right, especially on your first 12 months, because your first 12 months should be the lowest ever uh, because you don't know everything about the area yet. You don't know everything about your customer. So just double your revenue and take whatever your annual expenses were and add about 10% more. And that's going to be so your operating margin right there. That's going to be a general understanding of where you're going to lie, um, which is great. So in, in the net of it all, it ends up being usually no less than 20% net profit, sometimes as high as 60%, uh, depending on season, uh, seasonality, because that is the one thing, mm -hmm. the hardest thing about the entire business is figuring out what the pricing needs to be. Mm -hmm. uh, by far, there is nothing more difficult. And because once, you, once you've got that, it's all system driven, because there's somebody else who's willing to clean it. There's someone else who's willing to talk to your customer. There's someone else who's willing to fix the doorknob. Uh, there's someone else who's uh, willing to handle any sort of emergency or additional services uh, that you can offer. And uh, typically we tell people, um, expect 100% of your money back uh, anywhere from 10 to 18 months. Mm. Wait. Wait. I know, I know, I know, I know, I told you. I told you. Come on. Yeah, mm -hmm. I know. You're telling me I can buy, let's just take the one bedroom apartment. You're telling me mm -hmm. I can buy one bedroom, mm -hmm. put however much I'm going to put in, buy all mm -hmm. the furniture, buy the mm -hmm. can openers, the cutlery, all that, oh, God, get property manager, get <laughs> all of that, and I can get all my money back? In 18 months, yeah. That's what I discovered. That's what made me stop. Because I was like, hold on, what did you just say? Show me those numbers. I, I don't know. That, that can't be right. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, all right, you got to understand, I'm at my favorite hot dog place. <laughs> the hot dog is getting cold and I've forgotten about it because I'm enamored with this because it's way more tasty at the moment. You know what I'm saying? I have never seen anything quite like this. And I'm just like, okay, okay. <laughs> because it was one of those moments I was like, okay, all right. Well, if that's true, then that means... I mean, you don't know what you have, do you? And you could see it in their face. They're like, no, we don't. That's why we're talking to you. I'm like, oh. <laughs> uh, I'm like, this is amazing. If what you're saying is true, this is why I said, not only do you have something that's great, and I'm going to show you how to do it better, I, I'm going to do it too. Yeah. Dude, that's what happened. <laughs> I went to experiment with it. Hey, let's test. Let's see. Let's see. Can, is it really like that? And what happened is that in the first six months, we, we built uh, just a short-term rental portfolio by itself that was seven figures. And I was just like, okay, wait a minute. That happened too quickly. Like, that's what I felt. I'm like, this was in, I had never built anything to seven figures that fast. I was like, what is, what, what am I missing? What don't I know? What is going on? 
And that's when we started slowing down. We started sharing the information. We started uh, systematizing so that we could see if it can other people do it. And well, mm -hmm. today we have students in 16 different countries. We've had our most diverse group of, of, of students <laughs> ever. So uh, with that being said, you must speak English <laughs> because, <laughs> and because it, it revolves around people. Mm -hmm. It doesn't revolve around some sort of some specific law, some sort of, you know, opportunity zone or stuff. It just revolves around people, people mm -hmm. like having a roof over their head or an experience at a piece of real estate everywhere. And the system is the same. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, this is amazing. And that's why we take people now to through what I call the three phase system. So I try to de deter people from buying real estate up front because the only thing you need is control. You can use a lease, you can use lease options, you can use lots of tools for that. So let's move past that for a second. If you had a quarter of a million dollars, for example, here's what I know. You take that quarter of a million dollars, you start leasing, you furnish it, do all the fun stuff because a lot of people like that. Ooh, what color? I don't care. Just, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and 10 to 18 months later, here's what I know. You have your quarter of a million dollars back and this engine that keeps producing another quarter of a million dollars. That's what I know. When I saw that, I was like, okay, that's my golden goose. I'm going to teach people to build these goose, right? Your geese, whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to teach people to build these things so that it can keep laying down payment eggs. Mm -hmm. The problem with purchasing too soon is it slows you down. Your cash on cash return drops through the floor. Everyone's excited about that first property, but how long does it take you to save before you get to the second? And see, historically what you do is you go, well, cool, I'll syndicate. Fine, that does work. But now you got, I don't know, 400 investors you're dealing with over time, depending on how many deals you do. And that becomes a thing all on its own. Mm -hmm. And it's like, ah, I didn't sign up for this. I know what you I mean. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> it's just been me solving the problem mm -hmm. over and over again. And then it was like, like magic, so to speak, is like just to realize that, hold on, if we do this first and if we can just delay long enough, delay that gratification just a little bit more, you can end up with both. And now here's what happens. Some People, sometimes they go, well, shoot, I got all my money back and that were, how about I double it up and do it again? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> me too. I understand. Because now we're not talking about buying C class out of state. Now we're talking about B class in state. And you double mm -hmm. up again. You're like, well, shoot, A class in state. That's what it is. And then I had to look at it from the whole. It is the same. It's what is known as an asset light model. It's the same model that uh, the majority of the flag hotels, and when I say flag, think your Marriott's, Wyndham's, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It's the same model that they use. It's the same model that McDonald's uses to some degree, right? All we're doing is we're taking space and putting a business, quote unquote, on top of it to help us pay for the real estate later. That's it. And it just so happens that the business that's on top of it, you know what? It, it creates a very significant amount of free cash flow. That is the downside for sure. Uh, you better have a tax plan on the other side of this thing because it does create a lot of uh, taxable income. So that's the downside. And in the middle part, all of you who are 
long-term traditional real estate investors already know what you're complaining about uh, because, and it's, it, it just literally comes down to systems. Yes, you have to clean it. Yes, people break stuff. Yes, people steal stuff. And it's all systems, <laughs> okay, that can be handled, right? It is not uncommon. In fact, um, some of my students witness this because like uh, in, in one of our programs, what we do is that on Tuesdays, I have my short-term rental team come on board and all of the students in the program get to watch us deal with whatever problems are going on in real time. Mm. And oftentimes what they see is they, they learn the same time I do what happened. So whatever happens, happens. <laughs> oh, no. And they're learning it real time. <laughs> but typically what ends up happening is that by the time I'm learning about an incident that occurred, it's already resolved. And the team is more reporting to me what happened because, again, it's systems. And that's the key. Mm. And the systems are now possible because of technology. Mm -hmm. That's what changed. It's technology that changed, that created an opportunity for, the, for you, for me, mm -hmm. for all of us to have a, a completely different outlook on this whole real estate thing. Because I know it takes time to save up that down payment and you've got a whole bunch of things that you've got to do in the meantime in order to make it work. And oftentimes people end up doing a job or something else completely unrelated to the real estate thing they really want to do because the thing that they can do that the marketplace values produces enough cash. But the thing that they actually need the experience at is not the thing that they're doing. And that's when I came to the conclusion, I'll end with this saying, one of the craziest things to me today is to realize that a brand new person, even if they have the money and they have the credit, we literally ask them to take a 30-year risk when their experience is the lowest. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's crazy to me now. Mm -hmm. I'm saying take a 12-month risk mm -hmm. so that you can learn how to manage the asset long-term. Then go buy. Because mm -hmm. you'll have the cash and the experience, mm -hmm. and it's put so many people in a completely different situation. Those end of the ladies that I'm uh, that I'm telling you about who introduced me, who said to me, "Hey, have you ever considered this? This is something <laughs> we're doing." We we have since helped them. They grew to over a hundred locations. Uh, they have purchased an eight plex in Los Angeles and two hotels now wow. because of the strategy. Mm -hmm. It works. Mm -hmm. reliably produce the cash, produce the engine that can allow you to keep on buying stuff, mm -hmm. whatever that might be. And everyone has the capacity to learn how to do it. And the paperwork is easy because you've signed a lease before. Mm -hmm. You know what that looks like. So mm -hmm. it's, it's been fun. It's been a fun four years, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny how with, with real estate, you know, when you're first getting into it, you, you know, you're, you're sort of looking at all of these different things and then eventually you find your niche and you find your thing. And, uh, you know, four years ago you went short-term rental and four years ago I went multifamily and, and all this <laughs> stuff, all these great things have happened. And it's But you can still do multifamily. So let's be clear. I still like apartment buildings. We're still yeah. using, we're just putting a different person in the apartment building now. Right. We got a 12 yeah. unit in Long Beach. Just guess what? It's just all full of short-term rentals as opposed right. to a long-term long -term tenants. Yeah. It's the same. So I get to use everything I already know, uh -huh. but I'm just driving more. Remember what I said at the beginning, driving more revenue through the same expense. Yeah. 
And I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is on. (laughs) Where was this when I got started? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So I got to ask, how has um, COVID-19 impacted your portfolio of short-term rentals? So what what it comes down to is you it it changes or changed um, or actually not really changed. It accelerated uh, the second half of the business. So a lot of uh, short-term rental operators will leverage marketplaces like your Airbnbs, your booking.coms, your homeaways, and that's great. Except those same marketplaces are heavily dependent on specifically international travel. Um, And that uh, went away really fast. So yeah, March, uh, what was it? (laughs) Oh my God. March 12th, 13th and 14th. I just stopped answering my phone. It was pretty bad Uh, (laughs) because I saw $80,000 of monthly recurring revenue literally disappear. Like just poof, gall. It's like, Oh, okay. I don't know what, what's happening, but I've got to, we're going to have to figure it out. So I just kind of set that to the side so I could get myself mentally and emotionally ready to solve the problem because now I'm presented with a new problem, right? Mm -hmm. And anytime your business is uh, undergoing a crisis, uh, one of the things to realize is that there's three stages to every crisis. There's the during the crisis, there's just after the crisis, and then there's whatever the new normal is going to be, right? So that was the first thing to understand. Then you reevaluate the five areas of how your business works. Like who does your business serve? What capacities do you have? How, how did you used to deliver your service? What do you need to do now? And, and how do you reach your customer? How do you demonstrate your value? Anyway, we had to go back through and re-ask all of those questions from the beginning. So here's what happened. What came up was a realization that, well, one, we needed to develop new cleaning procedures. So that's what we did. Uh, cleaning, sanitation, sterilization, all that stuff. And so now our staff has... Uh, a 63-point checklist, I believe it is, uh, that is just related to COVID-19. So that was one of the first things that got implemented. Then uh, it was, okay, so if the international traveler isn't coming, because our number one, especially here in California, my number one customer was the Asian business traveler. I'm like, well, problem. That's not going to happen. So what do we do? I started, and I tell everybody to do this because it's free and it works. The news is the best place for lead generation ever because all they do all day is tell you what's broken and who did it. It's great. (laughs) So they started saying colleges were closing, hotels were closing, and oh my gosh, hospitals are overwhelmed, overwhelmed, but they're also understaffed and we need more people uh, coming into the area. And I'm just like, none of those people Mm -hmm. have a place to stay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Huh. I just need to get in front of them to let them know that we exist and our problem is solved. Long story short, we've ended up doing a whole lot more business with hospitals, uh, traveling nurses, medical professionals. Uh, We've also done a significant amount of business with the business because we now know a new term, essential workers, right? You know whether or not your business is essential now. Uh, So businesses that were essential still needed to have people traveling and their places to stay. So you've got, and you've got your first responders They needed a place to quarantine because they are literally line of fire first in. Uh, So when they got infected, they didn't want to go back home and take that mess back home to their family. So they they needed a place to stay. The kids were stranded, okay, especially the international kids, stranded because the college is closed. What happened to the dorm? 
they still need a place to stay. Um, and then insurance companies, because everybody's house kept flooding, just like a pandemic wasn't happening, because pipes don't care. And it was like, awesome. So it was repositioning and making sure that we had relationships with all of those things. We even went so far <laughs> as to go to other hotels and other extended stay hotels to let people know that we were in the area because the extended stay hotels we know aren't offering the same level of anything that we're doing. We're a better dollar per square foot. We're a better value. There's so many different things. So we just began doing that uh, at the end of the day. So with all of that being said, we eventually even discovered because uh, what is it? The nursing homes and the assisted living, how they're having the issues with outbreaks that has actually become our new best customer because mm -hmm. you don't want grandma hanging out with the rest of the people in that nursing home, but you can, she can come to our place and they're doing three, four, five, six month reservations at a time. And you can still have the skilled person come to our place. And we are like half the cost. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, this works. And so, and we're like, yeah, it sure does. You know? So it's all of those things coming together because there was, there's still a need for temporary housing that didn't change. The only thing that changed is who stayed in the unit. That's mm -hmm. it. And which was, and has proven itself to be an advantage to the, again, remember if you sold 365 days to one family, you had a single point of failure for all 365 of those days. Mm -hmm. And if that person, I don't know, lost their job, got furloughed, got whatever. Now everybody got a problem. <laughs> and it's all of those things combined uh, has made it easier for us to pivot. Now, revenue and, and, and daily rates are currently not back where they were uh, or would be, especially for this time of year. But it's better than being zero. It's better than being out of business. It's better than, it's better than nothing, you know, in some cases. And that doesn't even include the military because they're still moving people around too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was a re-examination of all of those basic things just got us to look in a different direction. So, you know what, right now, I'm not going to get any of my normal, like, I, I don't know, around February, because we tend to do a lot of business around Lunar New Year probably not going to happen this time. Okay, that's fine. But we're ready because we have already made inroads in other in other places. Wow. Thank goodness. I'm glad to hear that <laughs> you guys are at least keeping afloat because things could definitely be worse um, for oh, sure. Yeah. So glad to hear that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's so many more questions that, that I didn't <laughs> even get to ask. Hey, it, oh, I, hey I'm here. Yeah. You're, you, yeah. you do you. I'm, I'm yeah. good either way. Yeah, we'll have to do a second episode and, and <laughs> deep dive into all the strategies and all the other questions I wanted to get to. But let's move on to the investing for good impact round. And sure. uh, we're going to ask you a couple of questions around investing for good. Okay. So the first question is investing in yourself. So what is one way that your investments are helping you to live a better life? One of the investments that I've been making since, say, 2003 is uh, to consume at least two books a, a month. Nice. That's an investment that mm -hmm. continually pays. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can't even tell you, uh, there are so many more possibilities, so many new ideas. A lot of the problems that I experience anyway, the solutions to them come from other people. Mm -hmm. And 
one of the easiest, least expensive ways to access other people's ideas is through a book or an audio book or podcast. Mm -hmm. So I do a lot of that. Yeah, I love that. It, you know, sometimes for me, I get trapped in a certain mindset and then I'll can start consuming books like there's no tomorrow, you know, on the particular topic. And it's like, yep. boom, all of a sudden my mindset, like, you know, two months later is like completely different and ready for whatever it is or, or more able to, you know, deal with whatever it is I'm trying to, yep. trying to go through. So I, I love that, um, which is a good lead into the second question, which is what is one uh, investment strategy or hack that you might be able to share with our audience that will help them catapult their investing journey. So reading books is definitely one, but what, what's another one that you might be able to share? One of the most important uh, that I think gives me an advantage, especially when I'm doing something I've never done before, mm -hmm. uh, which should, could relate to a number of people, is a willingness to fail fast, fail forward, and fail frequently. Mm -hmm. It is through that feedback loop, because that's what a failure event is. It's a, hey, you tried it this way, it did not work. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it is worthless. It doesn't mean that it's not a worthwhile goal. It does not mean you that it is not for you. It means the way that you just attempted it did not work. It is an experiment. And the more versions and iterations you can get through in a shorter amount of time, that's what gets you the experience. That's what gets you ahead. That's what gets you in a position into which you can actually realize the success you're looking for, period. Like uh, during this uh, pandemic, one of the things that um, I tackled, I don't know what to say, is I went and got a Peloton. Now, mm -hmm. stick with me. <laughs> uh, when you first get an exercise bike there's a, so many hurdles like am I really gonna sit on that thing and do it and then you're like okay cool I'm gonna make myself sit up great but when you first do it it hurts because you're not used to sitting <laughs> on the silly bike and everybody goes through it and they go oh man what do I gotta do to, to make it not hurt so much and some people go down the road of doing a whole bunch of research trying to do all this other stuff to make it not hurt before they get back on the bike. While they were doing the research, I just stayed on the bike and kept going until I now just don't notice it and it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? And those small things sound like, oh, well, what difference does that make? Well, it, it's the difference between uh, seeing faster, more consistent uh, results in my uh, cardiovascular system than maybe I would be because I'm only uh, riding once, twice, three times a week versus literally, I now ride literally every day, oh, at least an hour, <laughs> sometimes more, it, because it's just, the, it's like awesome. So, and it's not a big thing, right? But that it was willingness to endure that pain mm -hmm. at the beginning consistently, <laughs> really fast and just get, get it over with. Yeah. That made all the difference. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, I think I think that's a good thing for people to take away is whatever you do, just do it. Like get out there and just start doing it and and make the mistakes because the mistakes are the things that are going to help you move farther faster. When you are not doing, you are not going anywhere and you will never progress. You'll never do anything. And so get on that bike, endure the pain and and ride it out. We should follow each other. I have a Peloton too. Um, yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> Let's go. Yes. I had yeah. no idea how much technique it was involved in cycling. I did not. I just yeah. didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. But once you got that down, it's like, oh, this is this is different now. I know. And we got it earlier this year um, before the whole pandemic thing happened. And it has been like the thing that has saved my husband and I from like going insane um, this whole time we've been on lockdown. So yeah, I can't exactly. I do the yoga. I do the meditation. I do all of it. My husband just got his uh, hundred, um, his, yeah. His yes. So anyway, anyway. I should be at my um, 60 day. <laughs> so the 60 day streak at the end of this week is, is or sorry, the beginning of next week is what it should be because we've, well, we will have had it for 60 days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, good for you for riding it every day since you got it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yep. We'll do another yep. episode. We just talk about real estate and Peloton. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> All right. Okay. The last question is around investing in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing right now or that your investments are doing right now to help um, make the world a better place? Images are powerful mm -hmm. because they allow humans to make associations. They allow us to make associations that sometimes we, we may not necessarily make. There are images in marketing. There's images of what we, of what uh, society thinks is beautiful and is ugly, mean, aggressive, all these things. Images are powerful. So one of the images that I think we need to see more of is individuals who are living close to their values, individuals who are uh, passing those same said values on to their children. What we have been doing and consistently promoting at Delic People is helping them to understand that COVID, no COVID, either way, um, a lot of what you're experiencing the, the, in terms of staying at home, that, that's how we were choosing to, to spend our time and invest our time. Anyway, and the fact that our kids are not necessarily in school, yeah, it's inconvenient, but it doesn't wreck our lives because we have to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, there's a lot of extra freedom and choices that we've been able to, to, to make and, and Lord willing, we'll be able to continue to do. Most people haven't seen, what do you mean? You get to stay home and your income doesn't go down <laughs> and you get to spend time with your kids mm -hmm. and you don't have to sit in traffic like that's a real thing <laughs> yes it's a real thing <laughs> and uh, i was joking about this earlier today at lunch but my uh 12 year old <laughs> it's crazy my 12 year old um <laughs> she decided all on her own to start her own website, research uh, her own ingredients, purchase her own ingredients, make her own uh, beauty products, uh, put together Facebook. She was running Facebook ads the other day. I'm like, who is this child? Yeah, her own money, her own everything. She just lets us know, hey, hey, I need to go to the uh, uh, mailbox to, I got another shipment to do. <sighs> Wow. That is the extent of our involvement. She yeah. has not needed a stimulus check. Um, you know what I'm saying? It is like crazy. Yeah. She's her that father's is... daughter. Yeah. <laughs> but, and that, but that's my point. How many parents want to be able to spend, have their kids catch that? Because we never sat down and said, okay, honey, here's what you need to do in order to make your business. She 
literally she just comes in and says okay hey dad i was thinking about yesterday dad i would like to run some ads on tiktok uh do you know what a business id is <laughs> and it's the i'm just like uh yeah because <laughs> it's not the conversation i had you know growing up yeah. definitely not at 12 <laughs> yeah. And, yeah but that's what we're talking about yeah. is being the example that lives close to the values. Mm -hmm. When you can do that, that's powerful. When your friends know that that is what you do, they want to know, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. How can I do that? Mm -hmm. I can't think of a parent that doesn't want more of that. And here's the frustrating part. In a few weeks, months, who knows, this whole COVID thing's gonna blow over. There's gonna be something different that you're gonna be dealing with. But one of the things you might be dealing with is, physically going back to work. Mm -hmm. Have you taken any part of this time to create a situation such that you don't have to? See, before you thought you had no choice. Now you've learned forcibly that you, you could probably make some different things work if you have to. Mm -hmm. How can you make that permanent? How can you strive? Who is out there that you can see? Because it is so much easier to model when we have those images. In a world to me where people are living closer to their values, well, that's a world that's probably safer for an individual like myself. And I think it's a world that I want to be in. Well, it's clear, Jay, that you are indeed living your values and you're paying it forward through your, your family, your friends, your community, all the programs that you've established. Now, if somebody who's listening is like me uh -huh. and they're like, wait, 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 I want to go back to that part where you can get your money back in 10 to 18 months. How do I? So right. He said where, that. Was that for real? Yeah. What's the best place that people can go to learn more about you, all that you're doing, the programs that you've got, and connect with you? Got it. No problem. No problem. And I'm going to do you one additional favor because this is one of the major things that I think gets in people's way. So I'm going to give you a goal really from the beginning. Cashflow Diaries, the name of the company. Go, you type that into Google, whatever comes up probably us. Anyway, we have a podcast in iTunes and all the other places. So cashflowdiarypodcast.com. But for those of you who are like, you know what, that short-term rental thing sounded really, really cool. I want to find out more. One of the things that I've learned to is that when it comes to real estate and people are like, yeah, I want to retire. Cool. Ask them, how many units do you need? I have no idea. Great. So you don't have any clue <laughs> when the finish line is uh, and you're just going to keep pursuing until you get there. How do you know you're there? Anyway, so I like to give people a goal. Uh, and literally tell you how many short-term rental units you'll need in order to retire or replace whatever amount of income it is that you feel you need to replace. Just go over to cashflowdiary.com forward slash how many units. Why? Because I made a calculator that'll tell you that, hey, you know what? I got a quarter of a million dollars. That's what I'm doing. Uh, I, my job is this. Great. I, I want to be able to replace that. No problem. Put in your information, put in your numbers, tell us when, you want to you want to make that happen? Calculator will tell you. This is how many short-term rental units you need in order to be able to replace that income. And yes, for fun, specifically for those of you who are nerdy like me, uh, it even adjusts for inflation. So <laughs> feel free. Go to cashflowdiary.com forward slash how many units because once you have that goal, it becomes tangible. Mm -hmm. People then uh, I've heard feedback like, "Wow, I didn't realize." how close I was. I know that's actually one of the things that 
people don't know is that you're closer than you think in a lot of ways. And it is not uncommon for someone to go from literally zero to, I think the, we, right now we have, uh, well, we have a number of records, but somewhere uh, between 12 to 15 units in their first uh, 12 months doing this. And, and trust me, it does not take 12 to 15 units to replace uh, the average uh, household income, even in America. Ah, well, I'm typing that, uh, that URL <laughs> in right now. I'm going to go right over there. And for all our listeners, we'll have that in the show notes as well. Jay Massey, real estate nerd, uh, yeah. short-term <laughs> rental ninja and host of the Cashflow Diary podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your infinite wisdom with us today, Jay. You're welcome. I had fun. Thanks. You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com slash podcast. And be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.